you know, undoing prohibition is hard. I wasn't around. None of us were around for when alcohol was made legal in our country yeah. after years of prohibition. And that's that's hard. And I think the biggest part of that is undoing that stigma, mm-hmm. which, you know, it's it's a generational thing. Welcome to the CRE Project Podcast, where investors, developers, brokers, and real estate entrepreneurs join together to grow, build, and execute on experience and strategies within the commercial real estate industry. We sit down with the top pros and leaders within the commercial real estate field and gain knowledge and insight from their success. We're glad you're here and look forward to connecting with you. You can find the CRE Project on all major podcast platforms, along with YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram. Hello, CRE Project Podcast listeners. Thank you for being with us today. Clayton and I are thrilled to host Ben Lewinger, the Executive Director of the New Mexico Cannabis Chamber of Commerce, who brings together growers, manufacturers, retailers, providers, and adjacent businesses to work collectively as the voice of the cannabis industry in New Mexico. Clayton and I are excited to talk about how cannabis Um, cultivation, um, consumption, and legislative policy are impacting the CRE space in New Mexico and nationally as the landscape is changing and there are a lot of opportunities on the horizon. So hope you enjoy the show. Ben is a wealth of information. Pleasure to have him on and you can access his contact information and all other associated resources in the show notes. Thank you. Thank you all for being with us today. Clayton and I are thrilled to have Ben Lewinger on the podcast. He is the executive director of the New Mexico Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. Ben and I have known each other for 20, 25 years now in a different life uh, previous to uh, real estate and all of the new exciting things that are happening statewide with New Mexico. But we're thrilled to have him on the show. Uh, Ben, welcome. welcome. Thank you for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. I'll say, you know, I've had a bunch of different jobs. I feel like I've had a bunch of different careers. I can think of two bosses that I've had, two of the best managers, and Gannon was one of them. You, my brother. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, that was, we had a good run there. Yeah, we did. We've fallen pretty far since then. Yeah. <laughs> to be continued. Yeah, so with all that being said, Ben, why don't, uh, you know, we have given the listeners a, a, an overview um from our side, but if you would just share with our listeners a little bit about uh, who you are and how you got to where you're at today and, and just what you're seeing um, and the impact it's having on the state, if you would. If you would. Sure. Uh, I'm the executive director of the New Mexico Cannabis Chamber of Commerce. We're a, a membership organization that exists to support the industry and to help our state mature um, with the cannabis industry as, as quickly as possible. So. Our members are producers, uh, cannabis manufacturers, testing facilities, curriculum developers, and then a growing number of cannabis adjacent businesses like uh, real estate firms, um, attorneys, CPA firms, marketers, web developers, all the different businesses that are going to have to come together to quickly support this. The entire ecosystem. The entire ecosystem. Uh This industry is going to end up touching, you know, everything. Yeah. 
uh, as we move really quickly into an adult use situation. We say adult use instead of recreational, so adults over 21. That's interesting. Um, in less than a year, we'll be able to go to one of their neighborhood dispensaries and, and legally purchase cannabis, and that's that's New Mexico. We are the 17th state to legalize, yeah. um, but it's coming federally. That policy is already in place statewide. Wide. It's right. already in place statewide, yeah. We're, we're moving quickly. The regulation and licensing department is moving quickly to to build the regulatory framework around it. And according to the law, we have to have our first adult use sale by April 1st, although it may be maybe March 1st at the, the rate we're going. Yeah, it's crazy how fast it's kind of evolved. When was cannabis first legalized for recreational purposes in the US? Um, I think Colorado was the first state and that was, um, I don't know, 2010, 2011. Yeah, so it's been about a decade now. Yeah, but New Mexico has been a medical state. New Mexico is one of the first states to um, to make medical cannabis legal, actually way back in the 70s. The history of cannabis in New Mexico is, is a pretty long one. Back in the 70s, we had the very first uh, legalized medical cannabis program that supported 600 cancer patients. Never knew that. I didn't know that. And so New Mexico is the first state? New Mexico is the very first state wow. in the country to have, uh, on the law, to have um, medical cannabis. And that was only a few years after the Controlled Substances Act, which included cannabis as a Schedule One drug, along with heroin and yeah. Yeah. LSD and, you know, all the drugs that we're learning more and more. But a lot of those actually, you know, psilocybin and LSD, it turns out that they have a huge medical benefit. Um, Interesting. When used appropriately when used appropriately and right. cannabis is the same and i would argue that any use of cannabis is always medical like people are using cannabis to you know treat themselves whether they're suffering from stress or anxiety or insomnia i i would argue that cannabis is you know unless you're a teenage stoner yeah. cannabis is largely used medically yeah. whether we call it recreational or, or medical so why does cannabis have such a negative view in so many different places. Why is that? I think it goes back to the Controlled Substances Act of um, the early 70s and even you know before that. And there's a, a pretty well-documented history of cannabis being used to um, stigmatize black and brown people in the United States. Right. Interesting. Right? Yeah, it was associated with yeah. um, you know, reefer madness, like, like Gannon mentioned before. It, that's all based on basically a, a bunch of uh, white people being terrified that their children were going to listen to jazz music and that their daughters were going to fall in love with the gateway black and drug people. Yeah. And it was framed as this gateway drug. And, you know, undoing prohibition is hard. I wasn't around. None of us were around for when alcohol was made legal in our country yeah. after years of prohibition. And that's that's hard. And I think the biggest part of that is undoing that stigma, mm -hmm. which, you know, it's it's a generational thing. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, and that's why we wanted to have you on the show. And that's why we reached out to you, because in our industry right now, obviously, New Mexico locally, again, it just got approved to go rec rec or adult use, I yeah. guess. Right. Thank you. By January of next year. And we have a lot of landlords right now that are evaluating whether to have this type of use in their shopping center, you know? So I think one question that we have that I've been asked historically is, you know, what is the difference between necessarily a medical, is it a license, is mm -hmm. that what it is, versus a recreational license? Are you talking about for producers or consumers? For, for the actual outlets. So I guess that would be the locations within the shopping center, okay? 
So what is the difference from a qualification standpoint? And does that vary from Colorado and Washington and these other states? Basically, what what a lot of these landlords want to know is, are these good people that are coming in here, are these qualified business individuals that are going to be operating these, you know, what do you call them? Dis- dispensaries. Dispensaries? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So okay, let me say one more thing about the stigma first, then I'll, I'll answer that question. Yeah. So. You know, we have current polling that the vast majority of Americans now support legalized cannabis for people over 21. The vast majority of Republicans of voting age, registered Republican voters in our country, support legalized cannabis. Uh, Canada as a country has long been legal. Mexico is closer to legalizing federally than we are. And countries all over the world are are legalizing cannabis. So that stigma is is changing. to, to answer your question, the distinction between medical and adult use, there there isn't going to be one as of April 1st of next year. Right now we have, okay. uh, I think we have about 32 licensed nonprofit producers. So those are the, the medical producers. And the way that it was set up in the medical program was they're vertically integrated. So uh, if you grow cannabis, that's the same as the license to dispense cannabis. That's the same as the license to uh, be a courier and move it between facilities. And then... Uh, a few years after we launched the medical program here um, in 2011, they added another license type of independent manufacturer. So okay. we have 12 independent manufacturers who make distillates, concentrates, edibles, all these different products because we're seeing consumers moving away from flour to you know manufactured products because it's so much easier to to dose and um, to to carry around and it's just generally easier to use. Which manufactured products for? listeners that may not know what that is is gummies or what? gummies yeah. vape pens um you know in the medical industry here i've seen asthma inhalers that deliver cannabis we have suppositories for people who have throat cancer and they they can't um you know pr- consume it the same way that patches can. patches yeah drops and i think that's going to be yeah tinctures that you can drop in your mouth there's water soluble powders there's yeah. a, a variety of ways to consume and I, I would expect there to be a lot of innovation in how people use cannabis into the future too. Um, so, so right now, those businesses, they're called the legacy licenses, they are in the process of reapplying and they're basically just gonna continue to operate as they have in an adult use market. And any new operators, um, which you know, I, operators are license holders, so whether you're growing or manufacturing or uh, being a, a retail outlet, or a consumption lounge, which I hope we talk about, that's going to present some unique challenges to, to your industry. Um, they All the new ones that are coming on board, they have to cater to the medical program. So the medical program is going to continue in our state. In every other state that had a medical program that went to adult use, you saw some people dropping off. Um, but our medical program continues to grow. There are over 100,000, 120,000 patients now in New Mexico. And you know, I don't want to be Pollyannish. We all know that that's serving a much bigger mm-hmm. market than just those 120,000 people, right? Sure. People buy for their aunties or cousins or friends yeah. or whatever. Um, and the, the benefit of people who are going to stay in the medical market is they won't pay tax. They won't pay gross receipts tax. They won't pay the cannabis excise tax. So I, I think that our state is taking a unique approach in really protecting um, the medical program and, you know, recognizing the, the value of cannabis for a variety of conditions. I've, I've been a medical patient for five years. I have autoimmune arthritis and I have to take a shot of Enbrel every week in my leg or my hands basically don't work. And if 
somebody's sick in my house and I have two little disgusting kids who are germ factors. It's not rockets. It's not rockets all day long. Um, somebody's always sick in my house. So if I can't take my medicine, you know, for me, I take a really high uh, CBD, low THC cannabis product. And that just takes the edge off and I'm able to continue to function much better than if I had to take like heavy painkillers that, you know, would make it really difficult to, to sure. work and, and be a dad. So I think New Mexico is really doing a good job continuing to honor that medical cannabis program while boldly moving into the future where anybody over 21 will be able to legally use cannabis. So what is the qualification of a operator to get a license? We're figuring that out right now. So, you know, we have the law, the law passed in special session this year in March. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the law is like the skeleton of something, right? And then you have uh, the regulation and licensing department and the new cannabis control division actively promulgating rules right now. And the rules are like the the bones and the muscle Mm -hmm. of of this industry. Um, So last week uh, we had a public hearing around retail and manufacturing. The, the first round of rules came a couple months ago and it was around production. So right now, the only application that's open is for production. And that could be a micro license, which you can grow up to 200 plants. And that's kind of the, that's the state's answer to making it possible for anybody in New Mexico to, to get into the industry that's gonna be an affordable license. And then do you wholesale that or do you open a dispensary? Well, you can open a dispensary. There's a micro-integrated where you can open a single dispensary. Uh-huh. Um, I think the idea initially is for people to, to wholesale. We're, we're going to have a huge supply problem initially. We're going to be in a supply-constrained environment, hopefully only for a few months. But every state that has gone adult use, you know, they've, they've sold yeah. out or near sold yeah. out on, on day three. Yeah. And that's going to reach equilibrium and kind of stabilize. But um I think the the opportunity for these micro producers, which up to 200 plants, you know, that could be a gateway to larger commercial licensure. You can grow up to 10,000 plants mm-hmm. under this new under this new scheme, or you know, if you're a, a talented grower, that could be a million and a half dollar a year business right there, just wholesaling to sure. other dispensaries. And and with that being said, as this continues to roll out. Uh, it will interface with the real estate community and landlords more and more. And one thing that Clayton and I have run across a lot and continue to do so is the fact that if there's a loan on the real estate asset, it will not allow this particular type of use in the center. So although it is federally um, illegal, it's legally state statewide, um, there's still federal taxes paid on it, but the federal government doesn't want to um, participate in that um, legally from um, underwriting and from holding the note and things of that nature. So with that being said, and with the understanding that New Mexico is also unique because we have on-site consumption lounges coming down the pipe, what do you see as the best way for these industries to work together? You know, real estate, the law, Department of Health, Chamber of Commerce, all of these different parties, what in a perfect world, how does that work in your opinion? I mean, that's the million dollar question. (laughs) I will say no pressure. (laughs) I, I will say that right now, and that's why I think that you're taking this topic on is so important is the 
in, in New Mexico, the cannabis industry is pretty much synonymous with the commercial real estate industry. Mm-hmm. Like they're so tied to each other. And that's because we have all these big multi-state operators who have been acquiring land in, in New Mexico. We have the existing producers and manufacturers and testing facilities who are looking to expand in preparation for adult use. And we have all these uh, newcomers, these homegrown New Mexico businesses who are trying to secure land. And it's not like, um, you know, what we're seeing develop is a, a patchwork of zoning requirements across the state. One of, one of the things that our state did that like California, for example, didn't do is uh, there's no way for any municipality or county to opt out. What counties and municipal, municipalities can do is they can through zoning um, reasonable, that's the word reasonable in state law, through reasonable zoning measures, they can kind of create what they want the industry to look like in, in their place. But uh, things like water rights, mm-hmm. things like uh, proximity to schools and daycares, um, things like, uh, you know, making sure that you comply with the Outdoor Clean Air Act and all these other, you know, federal uh, pieces of legislation relating to to clean air and, and smell mitigation. I, I think all of these uh, come into play um, for people who do what you do for commercial real estate developers. And I, I will say I'm, I'm looking at some notes from a report. So of the states that have been legal for more than three years, 32% of those states saw commercial lease addendums addressing cannabis cultivation. Yeah, um, 20, 30%, 30% saw commercial lease addendums addressing cannabis sales. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we, we have one bank in New Mexico who early on started doing green accounts. They can't do any lending because that's more of a federal issue, but they really put themselves out there. This is Southwest Capital. They put themselves out there and started opening cannabis accounts. Mm-hmm. And they did say that they're going to look at lending, right? I mean, they're continuing to investigate that opp- opportunity. Yeah. yeah, there's some federal things that I think need to happen to, to make that possible. But, you know, th- this one bank and now there's there's two other banks that are trying to get into it. But this bank has by far the market share for the cannabis business. They, they took a chance. They you know put oh, themselves yeah. out totally. there. They took a risk. And it has paid off for them. And I think it's going to be the same for people who own property in in New Mexico. So what would you say? I mean, again, you have an audience right here. What would you say to landlords that have an adverse position to this industry? Do you want to make money? Yeah. I I would say look into the future. Like this is happening. There there are uh, pieces of federal legislation, the Safe Banking Act, the MORE Act, now the uh, the CAO Act, like th- this is happening on a federal level. I think that uh, President Biden, who campaigned on not legalizing cannabis, either he's going to do it at the end of this term so it does not become yeah. you know, a campaign platform for other candidates, or the, the very next Democratic president is going to legalize cannabis because it's what the majority of Americans It could even very well be a Republican president because at this point, I don't think it is a partisan issue. I think it is uh, human rights issue, yeah. you know, and, and Republicans are business friendly. This is business friendly and it's freedom friendly and it's personal choice and, you know, kind of get your morals out of my living room. Yeah. You know, if I, if I want to partake in this activity and not put anybody else at risk, why should I not be allowed to do that on a very libertarian Point of view. Yeah. yeah, and this is going to be a highly, it is a highly regulated industry, and it's one that if you do it well, is going to be, you know, very profitable. Yeah, and land and land use plays into that more than more than anything else. 
So what an, another common, and I'm assuming this is a misconception, and if it is, you can run with that. If it isn't, then I'd like you to educate on it, educate us on it. But there's always this viewpoint that crime is related to cannabis. And when landlords, at least in my experience, I don't know if you've experienced this, Gannon, but they're worried about if they put a cannabis dispensary in their property, that their property is going to be vandalized or robbed or there's somehow an increase in crime. People are going to be hanging out on the corner selling. Exactly. You know, yes, I've, I've heard that. Yeah. Is there any statistical data that you guys have studied where is that linked? Is that something that we need to work on as far as a community and a country? Or is that just a total, totally false perspective? I I don't know of any statistical data. I know from what I know in, in our state, the kind of points to that being completely false. If you look at the behavior around dispensaries, dispensaries are uh, you know, they are by and large the most secure locations in any, any shopping mall. Um, or in any you know, business development, they are uh, they, they have security cameras. They have you know they have uh, safe rooms. They have all these things because they have to have them um, according to, to statute. And the reason they have all these things is largely largely because of that stigma. Um, but but that's okay. You know what we're seeing is if if you have a cannabis dispensary coming into your shopping center. Guess who's going to pay for the security guard mm-hmm. watching everybody? It's the it's the cannabis dispensary and the behavior around it. There's this idea that people are going to go in, buy their product, and then they're going to do whatever the cannabis equivalent of going in the alley and shooting up is. And that's not the behavior. We're talking about adults with uh, expendable income who make a purchase and then they take it home and enjoy it in their residence mm-hmm. or, or with friends. So I, I would just encourage anybody who wants to see it firsthand, and there's tons of dispensaries across the state, just go and park your car and look at the behavior around that dispensary yeah. for 20 minutes. One of these owners will welcome open arms you to come in and take a look at their facility. They're proud of what they have. And actually, I think from other interviews, you know, uh, with other owners of, uh, of uh, licenses that I think there is studies that have been done in in Colorado that show a decrease in crime. Don't quote me on that, but I just remember from conversation that I think that that, there there are statistics out there showing because of the overall attention and and spotlight on that area that that crime has gone down. Well, and all this money coming into it. Counties and cities are about to get huge pockets of money to do whatever they want to do with. Colorado invested in education, but if you know, if you live in Clayton, New Mexico, and you want some of that money to go towards more enforcement or to reducing crime, yeah. you can do that. So let's let's dig into that a little bit because I feel like that's really the biggest benefit, right? Whether you whether you partake or not, right? You're going to benefit from that additional income just being in the community. So, can you speak in depth about that? I mean, what has changed in Colorado and Washington specifically where? you know, they've received this additional tax revenue and they've then returned that into the community. What specifically has been done in those other states? I mean, it's different across the board. Washington and California, the illicit market in those two uh, states still outpaces the legal market, you know, three to one or something crazy. So they're not they're not actualizing that revenue to the degree that they should. I think the reason is price it's probably less expensive and and if you want to decrease the price 
from the government programs, you need to increase the supply. So your plant count has to be appropriate in order for um, there to be enough. I mean, simple economics. I yeah. mean, that's, and I'm just going based on previous conversations in, in my memory, but I don't know, Ben. You're, yeah. Means- I mean, we, we zoned in when we were working on, on the bill. When I say we, I mean, you know, all the different legislators and the governor mm-hmm. and all, all the different parties that, that came together to reach agreement on what we wanted the legislation to look like. There was this tax rate that was between 18 and 21 percent. And we knew that if the tax rate was more than that, it was going to drive people to continue to buy, you know, dime bags yeah. from Tony down the, yeah. the way or whatever. Um, so I think our state, you know, we've really benefited from looking at the mistakes that other states have made. Yeah. And I feel like New Mexico is also really good at looking what other states do and say, mm, we're going to apply some of our our homegrown New Mexico wisdom to that, too. And I, I think that's what we've done a, a really good job with. So I think. um you know, Colorado is probably the model that we should be looking at. They invested that money in economic development. They invested it in education. Mm-hmm. And 10 years later, um, the outcomes, you know, we the, the proof is in the pudding. We've seen that Colorado is much better off uh, directly because of this industry. I think it's a little bit different now. Um, you know, the, our, our mayor, Mayor Keller, made... Uh, when he was talking about zoning for Albuquerque, he said, we want Albuquerque to look more like Durango than Trinidad. And it, everybody who's driven you know, north I-25 through Colorado, they know exactly what he means. As you're approaching Colorado, you see billboards, there's dispensaries yeah. um, you know, all over the place. And it, it feels like it's kind of in your face compared to Durango, where it's a little bit more toned down. Like maybe you notice that it's there. Um, but it doesn't hitch in the same way that Trinidad does. And I, I don't think that that's part of the discussion anymore just because so many states have legalized. Arizona is legal now. So with the exception of Texas, if you go 20 miles into the border of Texas, along the entire border, along the entire New Mexico-Texas border, you're going to more than double the consumer base. So communities like Clovis, like mm-hmm. Tucumcari, like Portales, like Las Cruces, those are the ones that are going to uh, feel that rush that Trinidad felt from New Mexicans driving up to Colorado. Now we're going to have all these Texans coming in, um, hopefully, you know, staying in our hotels, eating in our restaurants. But I think other places that uh, other places in New Mexico that really, you know, depend a lot on tourism, like Santa Fe, having dispensaries, having consumption areas, that's only going to augment and increase the spend that visitors to our state have. I mean, yeah. Balloon Fiesta, I, I can't wait to see. Uh, how much more economic um, uh, economic benefit our state sees after having balloon fiesta on cannabis? Yeah, I, I just I, I think it's going to be a, a game changer. It, it's not going to replace oil and gas, but this is something that our state desperately needs. This is something that our state deserves. Um, and whether or not you you know agree with it, if you're a property owner, hopefully you see. Uh, you see that opportunity and you jump. Back. Can I ask you another question um, that may be a little off script, but um, how does this relate to industrial hemp? And is do those conversations overlap? Um, I know that there have been large swaths of land here in New Mexico purchased for that purpose. Do you uh, have any exposure to that? Yeah, I mean, it's the same plant, right? So they're both cannabis. They're both the same plant. I feel like um, it's so it, it's the same and it's different. You 
In the medical program, you could not introduce anything that wasn't grown as part of the cannabis program into the medicine. So if you wanted to grow, if you wanted a high CBD product, it's not like you could take CBD from industrial hemp and use it as an additive to create this product that was like five to one CBD THC. You had to grow cannabis that way. So with the new adult use market, um, we're going to be able to add uh, CBD and other cannabinoids from industrial hemp into cannabis products. So that's big. But, you know, there, there's, um, there's three ways to grow cannabis. You can grow it outdoor, you can grow it indoor, and you can grow it um, in a, not a sunroom. What do you? Uh, why have I space sit down? Like, no, uh, greenhouse. 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 <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Kenneth. So those, those are the three ways to grow cannabis. So greenhouse, outdoor, and indoor. Uh, there's a lot of purists who uh, grow really amazing product, who grow outdoor, natural soil, powered by sunlight, and there's going to be a place for that. The vast majority of consumers in New Mexico are going to make purchases that are grown indoor in warehouse settings. And that, you know, as a, as a grower, if you're growing indoor, you can control every single input. You can control, um, you know, the temperature, the humidity. You can control the, the light because it's light deprivation that actually makes cannabis bud that, you know, grows the stuff that we're selling. Um, and I, I think that we're going to see a lot more uh, indoor um, in New Mexico than, than it really is a science it really is a science and it's you know it's going to be super competitive I, I'll say this is one of the things that scares me and keeps me up at night is you have all these people who are really excited by the industry they maybe have grown on their own maybe they had a personal production license under the medical program and they think they're going to be able to jump into this super competitive super regulated everything is 15% more expensive and 20% more difficult industry and be successful and yeah I, I, I'm, I'm worried that we're people gonna are going to dump. Gonna dump well, we see it all the time. People, call, people are calling us off well, the hook asking yeah. for space to grow. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's that was uh, that's perfect because that's a question I wanted to ask you. Is a lot of landlords because to Gannon's point, I mean, we're getting <clears throat> a plethora of calls right now, right. right? So, again, a lot of our audience owns commercial real estate. If they have someone that's interested in their space, how do you qualify? A good operator. Good question. You know, because in a business, you know, whether it be restaurants or another industry, you can kind of look for certain metrics, right? Their financial history, their operating history, their other locations, etc. So, how what are, what are some good qualifying questions to ask a user? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. I so I will say I think a lot of the opportunity and and hopefully what we realize in this state that places like Washington and California didn't the best growers are on the illicit side like the best growers in New Mexico are currently are growing transitioning well hopefully hopefully they will but usually these are people who don't necessarily have the business savvy they can't show you a PL from a business yeah um, so I think the the opportunity for a, a landowner and I, I hope that you know, my recommendation is to bring in outside consultants. There's a number of consultants in New Mexico who help with these transactions exactly. They can give you a pretty good sense of who's going to be a successful uh, tenant and, and who isn't. Um, but, so what, how do you, what do they study? What do they look at, the consultants? I mean, the, the biggest thing is can they grow something high quality? Okay, can interesting. They, you know, and that's why I'm asking because I, I'm not familiar with this, right? And that's... Because again, going back to like restaurants, right? We're familiar with, with restaurants, and you know when 
somebody has a good product versus somebody that doesn't have a good product and they have that track record. So that's what I'm curious. And I'm yeah. thankful you said that because maybe that's what you ask. I mean, how, how would you, again, ask that in a qualifying type of way? I think it's exactly the same as a restaurant, right? You can look at all the financial documents. You can see a, a track record of, of being successful. But if their food sucks, yeah, probably not going to be yeah. a good tenant. So, so what it, Ben, what is the license? If somebody was to call and say, hey, Gannon, this is Jonathan. I am looking for 10,000 square feet for my grow. Okay, what do you have in place right now? I mean, you've got the money, you've got the investors. Okay, you ha- you have the know-how. Legally, what are we looking for? What's the what's the license that these people need to have right now? Because it's not the NPLL, right? It's it's yeah. different. different. Unless they're transitioning from the medical market, then they'll have, you know, everything that you need to to say, okay, you were you know, we were supporting this expansion because you've demonstrated that you've done business in New Mexico in this industry on the medical side for years. Um, I don't know. I mean, that's a good question. I, I would test their product and do whatever you can to get a sense of, of their business acumen. Um, and then in terms of what they're going to be doing, so the, the license types are, and the, the state did a really good job with how they broke out the licensing. Basically, if you want to participate in this industry as an operator, you can do any one thing or you can do any combination of things. So you can grow, you can uh, you can just do retail if you just want to do retail. You can just do manufacturing if you just want to do manufacturing. Can you have all of them? You can have all of them. You can. You can, yeah. You can have a, a vertically integrated license, which means that you do everybody. There are probably a couple of producers or a couple of operations that would have all of them. Currently, the, the way it was set up in the medical program, all of the medical producers are vertically integrated. I see. And they can because all, in other states you can't, right? You right. can only have one or the other. Right. Yeah. And you know, our 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 desire when we were helping to to work on this legislation was for really people to be able to come into the industry however they want and, and create the business that they I'd imagine that creates efficiencies though. Helps drive down price. Well it does, but also if you're only good at one thing, you, mm-hmm. you should probably only do that one thing. That's a that's a good like point. If if you just wanna like, you know, there are tons of people who don't want to grow, but they enjoy cannabis and they have a, a vision for a customer experience. They just need to have a retail and then they can handpick and buy wholesale the very best products and then just have, you know, a high end d- dispensary and they, they focus on that customer experience. If you don't want to grow, but you know that you can make the best edibles. Mm-hmm. Then you just, you know, same thing. You wholesale the best cannabis and you just make your product. And then find the the retail operations, find the dispensaries that you you want to sell them in. Um, so it's going to be really you know really interesting. And again, this patchwork of zoning that's developing across the state that that's what's going to make it difficult. And what we're seeing now is a lot of people are are buying up properties before the zoning yep. for those places is even completed. And then they have a fight on their hand because all of a sudden their property is you know, 258 feet from another dispensary instead of 300. So uh, that was a question that was brought up to me is if they're all going live right in January and then there's the application process. And my thought is most people are going to put in at the same time, be negotiating deals at the same time. How do you know if one is within it's 400 feet, right? 300. Is it 300 feet of another? How is that going to work out if they're both negotiating deals at the same time and they're within 300 feet of each other? 
good question. Yeah, I guess uh, we I just don't know, don't know that yet. Yeah, huh? I don't know if it's whoever gets like a certificate of yeah. occupancy first. I, I have no idea. And it's going to be, you know, handled municipality by. Well, well, and whenever I have done deals with dispensaries or or growers, which which I've done more than a handful of deals, um, there's always a contingency period in there, right? Because you've got to get all of your approvals and there's there's a process in which, at least for the medical side of it, you've got to go through. You've got to have the site, you've got to have the lease, you've got to have the deal pretty much structured, you've got to have your 300 feet away from school, daycare, or church. And then once you have all that in place, then it's got to go through DOH or whoever the, the governing department is. Yeah. So, well, and what's happening right now is our regulation and licensing department, they're issuing provisional licenses because exactly what you described is what's happening. You know, people apply for their license. They're like, okay, well, you need to get your business license from the city. The, the city says, okay, well, you need to get your, your license to do this first. The state engineer office says, oh, you need to get your water declaration first. So, you know, again, undoing prohibition is really hard. And uh, I, I applaud our, our regulators and... Um, all of our lawmakers who are really uh, pushing this very aggressive timeline. But these are some of the things that we're bumping into. So what's happening now is RLD is issuing provisional licenses for production. Um, so at least they have something where they can go to the city or county or wherever they're working with and say, look, if you know we're just waiting on you to give us your stuff and then we have everything in order with the state. But it, it definitely, um, I'm sure for lots of new applicants, feels like a, a back and forth. And it probably even feels like, you know, the powers that be are, are working against them. But mm -hmm. it's just this, you know, we're trying to do this thing. And the, the way that we legalize cannabis, I said we were the seven, 17th state to legalize cannabis for adults, but we were only the third to do it legislatively. And New York beat us by hours. Really? Um, and that's definitely the the more difficult way to do it compared to Arizona, where they just put it out to voters. They just put it out to a popular vote. And the voters said, yes, legalize cannabis. And then the, the state had to figure it out. We went the opposite way, which is the best way, but also, you know, vastly more, vastly more difficult. Mm -hmm. And in order to, to push this aggressive timeline, all these different uh, state agencies and, and local municipalities are are really trying to figure out how to work together in a way they haven't before. So what are they what are they doing? So for the for the groups out there and again, reason we wanted to have you on is get clarity on but we're th this is the stuff we hear is well it's legal now so now we're just going to have you know cannabis dispensaries everywhere in our city. So what what type of zoning like how does the zoning work with cannabis? Dispensaries, like how are how are cities navigating that? It's all over the place. The Thirty three different counties in New Mexico. Yeah. It feels like they're all taking a, a different approach, and I think that word "reasonable" is that's how it is in statute. The local ordinances can take reasonable measures to control how cannabis exists, and it's really you know all over the place. We have uh, right now. There's a push to uh, put a permanent moratorium on cannabis in Old Town which, you know, we were talking about the stigma. I, I think what New Mexico needs to be doing is looking boldly into the future when cannabis is legal everywhere and we can grow it and move it across state lines. And instead we have communities. And, um, you know, what zoning does is the, the way that they talk about it is they're, they're making these prohibitions to protect the, 
historical character of communities. And that's what they're saying about Old Town. That's what people are saying about Santa Fe. And I, I just think that's that's silly. We got to look into the yeah. future. We, you know, so many communities in New Mexico, places like Old Town, need some reinvigoration. And if you're talking about an amazing place that is maybe struggling a little bit, mm-hmm. cannabis. Yeah, it's a destination location. It's great for tourism. And you're going to increase you foot traffic to all these local businesses. Yeah. You're going to increase restaurant spend. It's, um, it's going to be. By no means are you required to go in if you don't want to go in, you know. Um, but yeah, I will say the big one. So this is what we haven't talked about yet is consumption. Yeah. Consumption areas. And the way that was described in statute, um, accurately. So the, the sponsor of the bill representative Javier Martinez, he made a point of saying, if we're legalizing this thing, there are tons of people who, because, uh, you know, they, they rent, um, they rent an apartment and their landlord doesn't allow them to use cannabis. There are people who need a place to go to use cannabis and that's absolutely right but it's also you know a huge a huge business opportunity again people who want to create this customer experience people who want to do food pairings people who want to have like a cannabis and coffee shop there's a huge opportunity there and the big thing that we're seeing um, and this this is like the wild wild west nobody we are pretty much the first ones to do consumption lounges. The first state, right? The first state. I think mm-hmm. there may be some in California and there may be some in Las Vegas, but you know, Las Vegas is a whole other world completely. So, you know, the rest of the country is watching how we're handling this. And yeah. one of the themes that's coming up uh, with counties and municipalities across the state is they don't want any outdoor consumption lounges. And that's because they don't want people to you know walk by and and smell cannabis and their kid and get put a off by that with right exactly yeah. um and you know i have kids I'm, I'm not saying that there's not an argument there uh but this this is one of those things where if you have an amazing outdoor patio um and one of the things in the law is you can combine just about anything else with cannabis but you cannot combine alcohol so there's hmm. never going to be a situation where you have a bar where you can also smoke cannabis but, you know, some big, beautiful outdoor patio overlooking burn. If you can smoke cigars outside, you should be able to smoke a joint. Cigars are stinky, man. There it is. Put it in stone, buddy. Yeah. Golf courses. I mean, I mean, it's, um, you know, we have a lot to figure out. That's a good point. And that, that's, that, that's something our, our regulators have been really good and really honest. Though, when people come with questions, they say, oh, I don't know. We haven't thought of that yet we'll get back to you and they do and there's just uh there's a lot of unknowns as we're trying to undo this crazy prohibition that's existed for more than 50 years so one question that i have that when this has come up with other uh landlords that i've worked with as well that you can provide clarity on is you mentioned odor from an outside perspective consumption what about inside the space because that's you know again there's other tenants in the shopping center how is that handled typically? Is that a, is that a, a legitimate issue that one should have, or is that yeah, irrelevant? I mean, it, it's not an issue for dispensaries. Okay. Uh, by and large, cannabis is grown somewhere, it's manufactured and packaged somewhere, and then when it comes to the dispensary, it's already packaged. So it's not uh, it's not like you're driving by dispensaries and you're picking up an odor of cannabis from dispensaries. From grow facilities, that you know that's a different story. But mm-hmm. I think the technology, even just in the last few years 
uh, with carbon filtration, the the technology that has come to mitigate odors is amazing. And I think there are probably a bunch of people in New Mexico who don't even know that they live in close proximity to a grow facility, number one, because it's not like they have, you know, signage. They're yeah. right, pretty undercover, <laughs> yeah. but also they just do such a good job mitigating the smell that unless you open those doors and when you open those doors, yeah. you, you know, it, you know, you get a big whiff, but. And there are filters and all types of different things you can put in there, right? To yeah. try to help. Yeah. yeah, I think you could be, you know, you could be walking by a big grow facility and not even know it because they do such a good job mitigating the odor. Yeah. But from a dispensary standpoint, it's all packaged, confined. There's no issue at all with there being any type of odor. No, yeah. I mean, I, I walk into dispensaries and I don't even get an odor walking into it. And, and then circling back to the on-site consumption, it, what is that as far as like driving yourself home? Is it the understanding that you're going to get an Uber or you go with the buddy that doesn't smoke or... You know, how 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 does that work? Um, because you can't get a blood alcohol test right on your drive home and say, oh, yeah, he's drunk because he's. But, oh, you know, I, I know I'm getting into the I have a lot to say about for this. lack of a better word. I'm getting into the weeds here. Um, so, you know, that cannabis lounges, cannabis consumption areas have been permitted under the medical program for the last three or four years. There was a a rule change, rules promulgated through the Department of Health that allowed this for the current operators. None of the current operators took advantage of this because they didn't want to take on the perceived liability, which Mm -hmm. is what you're talking about. I'm I'm the former state director of Moses Against Drunk Driving. I, you know, I I got my start working with our legislator, working on our, our legislative, working on DWI legislation. I've um, I've advised big investment firms on new technology to test alcohol impairment. So this is something I feel like I know a lot. Yeah, about. no doubt. Um, cannabis impairment is completely different than alcohol impairment. It's it's completely different. Number one, there is never going to be a test, and I, people have argued me on this point. I will bet each of you five dollars that we will never have a test that accurately tests cannabis impairment, a chemical test. There's never going to be one like we will never have the equivalent of a blood draw or mm-hmm. um, the, the breathalyzer that we have for alcohol. And even that 0.08, that's a presumed threshold. There's tons of people who are not impaired at 0.08 blood alcohol content. And there are tons of people who are impaired way less than that. Cannabis is completely different. And there's we're, we're never going to get uh, a sense of impairment because the ability, um, the, the, the amount that people can take before they become impaired is all over the place. You have cancer patients who are taking daily doses that would, you know, put a regular person down for a week just because they, they've built up that tolerance mm-hmm. and they're using it for treating side effects of, of chemotherapy or pain related to cancer. Um, and also, I think just the behavior around it is completely different. You have people who, uh, you know, what we say about alcohol impairment is make a plan. So you have people who will make a plan and then all of a sudden they're five drinks in and they get that liquid courage and they're like, I'm fine to drive home. Yeah, That doesn't happen with cannabis. That's just not the behavior. Number one, you have a consumption lounge. I, I could see it happening where somebody who has no experience with cannabis, no tolerance, uh, eats uh, too big of a gummy. They you know eat 10 milligrams instead of three milligrams mm-hmm. and they get a little froggy. The behavior for those people is they're not going to have that liquid courage and they're not going to demand that they drive home. So I think the problem is a completely different scale than alcohol. Um, 
but cannabis is a substance that impairs you. So we, we have to be aware of it. And, you know, just like alcohol, the liability is going to come on the people who have the consumption lounges for anybody who drives home. Impaired. Yeah, I yeah. think there's a lot to unpack there. Needs to be clarified. <laughs> what is this? I mean, do you have any statistical data on how often that happens versus like a DWI? No, there was a lot of uh, a, a lot of kind of misinformation about substance impaired driving in the northern part of the state. People who would go to Colorado byproduct get impaired and then crash when they were you know as soon as they got back into New Mexico. But that has been largely debunked. Yeah. Um, and I, I haven't seen anything that indicates that cannabis impairment is going to really add to our problem of substance impairment. Yeah, interesting. Um, earlier you mentioned, and I'm just curious, that uh, New Mexico is at a unique point to where we can really learn from other states. And you said, you know, we, we can take some of the good items that they rolled out when they did their legalization. I'm curious, what have other states done wrong, you feel, that we're not doing here? Like, what are some good learning lessons and stumbling blocks with other states? From a business perspective, that's harder to figure out. From like a regulatory perspective, uh, having a sensible excise tax, um, that's gonna be huge. And the, the state wrote into the law, and this was something the chamber was really supportive of, was having uh, production limits. So there are, you know, Colorado, this is one of the places where Colorado made a mistake. They didn't have any production limits. So a license holder can grow unlimited amount of plants? Unlimited wow. amount of plants, Wow. which was good. But the problem is if you were a small craft grower, you couldn't achieve that economy of scale that would come with growing a huge amount of product to, to make it affordable. And we saw particularly Pueblo, Colorado, we saw a lot of homegrown mom and pop shops that were just destroyed because they couldn't compete uh, price wise. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I, I think, you know, in New Mexico, uh, we have a really good model with uh, local breweries and local distilleries of how to encourage small businesses. And um, I, I just love the idea of like craft cannabis. I think there's always going to be a market for $7 a, a gram cannabis. And then there's also going to be a market for people with expendable income who want something a little bit better who are going to go and find that craft product and are going to pay more money for a product that tastes better smells yeah. better and has a, a i mean it's the, it's the exact same in direct correlation with a restaurant i yeah. mean it's outback versus ruth chris right basically and there's a place for both but by limiting the plant count initially and i think it's three years that the state can do that we're at least giving some of these homegrown businesses the opportunity to to compete because what they're competing against is not the existing businesses who have been here. They're competing against Canadian companies coming into town yeah. and setting up shop. Huge California companies yeah. that have unlimited resources and can immediately open 12 dispensaries yeah. across the state. And that's, you know, from a chamber perspective, that's really important that we, yeah. we, we balance that. Because mm -hmm. we can't, and this is a mistake New Mexico makes, is we, uh, we ignore what outsiders say and do. And there is going to be a place for... I think responsible businesses who care about New Mexico to come in and, and get some market share and really elevate the, the industry as a whole. But by and large, you know, we have to make sure this is for New Mexicans and by New Mexicans. And I think the, Amen. the statute did a good job with that. Yeah. And I know we're getting tight on time here. And before we go, I just wanted to see if you had any info you can share with us on the amount of money that we're looking at generating with the 
the uh, adult use program tax wise? Uh, a fully um, a fully mature uh, program. So in three to five years, it could be six hundred million dollars a year to state coffers. Yeah. So again, not replacing oil and gas, but yeah, in addition, that's you know that's that's a nice chunk of change. Oh, build build some schools and roads. Yeah. Um, Employ some APD. Yeah. I mean, just benefit the community. It really will. What, um, and again, since we're kind of getting close to wrapping up, I mean, what what would you say to our audience as far as what is the biggest misconception when it comes to cannabis? Uh, Cheech and Chong. Exactly. They're going to yeah. have, uh, you know, a grow facility come in and it's going to be tie-dye and uh, Led Zeppelin or mm-hmm. you know, whatever. And that's not... Uh, in anybody who's interested in touring a, a facility, I'd love to take you guys out to tour a facility. This this is a professional industry now in New Mexico with the the medical industry, and I would only expect it to be, you know, more so. And uh, this is going to create eleven thousand new jobs in our state. And it's not bud tenders; it, it is bud tenders, but it's also scientists and researchers and lab technicians and manufacturers and. Um, that's not even counting all those cannabis adjacent businesses that are going to have to come together to support the growth of this industry. So this is a, this is a professional industry that this is um, something that we can be proud of now and that we can be proud of in, in the future. And yeah. the, the cannabis industry is not the same as cannabis culture. It's massive. I've got one more question for you. Is there anything unique to New Mexico that we bring to the table, whether it's outdoor growing geography or the law or the quality of the product? Is there anything that we can hang our hat on that can help us to differentiate ourselves from other states? I, I think, again, we have this history with cannabis that nobody else has. We have a, a really vibrant medical cannabis program that's been around since 2010. Uh, before that, we had the very first medical program um, that started in the 70s. And we're an agrarian culture. Like, you know, we're green chili or red chili. And the competition over our chili versus Colorado's chili, it's not really a competition, number one. <laughs> but like, that's the kind of pride that we need to bring to uh, the, the cannabis industry. We, we need to tap into this heritage of growing stuff and you know have that kind of carry us into the future with growing cannabis the challenge in new mexico that we're going to face is water Hmm. and cannabis does not use as much water as you know pecans or chili or or other things that we grow um but that the water supply is the challenge to our agrarian heritage so the hope is that people who are growing hay or alfalfa and they want to change some of their crop to outdoor um, they can do that and that'll use less water. And then the technology around uh, hydroponics. And I, I think that there's a big opportunity in New Mexico to really define how we use renewable energy and how we use responsible water practices in, in cannabis. We're the land of wind and sunshine. We should be developing the trends for uh, the amount of kilowatt hours it takes to grow a gram of cannabis or the amount of water that it takes to grow a can. A, gram of cannabis and we should really be we should be pushing that we should be beating arizona to the to the punch and uh we should be you know figuring out how to do this and then once this is federally legalized Mm -hmm. we should be supplying the the very best new mexican grown cannabis all over the country all over the world yeah so if again if a landlord uh is entertaining having a 
dispensary in their center, what is the best way for them to learn more about cannabis? Uh, they, they should come to a chamber event. They should engage with the industry as it exists now. Great. I, I think the first thing is they need to figure out the zoning because if you as a, if you as a commercial broker can come in and say, hey, zoning is, we've checked, zoning is good. This is ready to go. Uh, you can you know move your triple stack 2000 plant operation into this warehouse tomorrow. Um, I think that's going to be good. And you know the, I mentioned it before, but this is what I always say. This industry is 15% more expensive and 20% more difficult than, than anything else. There's, there's an IRX tax code, 280E, which prevents cannabis businesses from taking regular business deductions. So, you're a business oh, owner yeah. imagine like imagine running your business without being able to take deductions That's so brutal i'm not saying that it's uh you know it's a renter's market yeah but landlords are going to have a lot of leeway uh in terms of deal making with the cannabis industry that they won't have with other industries yeah great info man ben, so that's awesome we uh greatly appreciate you being here and shedding some insight and uh if people as far as new mexico goes wants to get in touch with you uh, we will have your contact information in the show notes but again thanks for being here today and educating all of us and uh, you know we'll yeah. see we'll see what happens in the near future here well, it'll be no exciting matter, no matter what state you're in there's a version of me in every state yeah so in New Mexico it's the New Mexico Cannabis Chamber of Commerce but whatever state you're in uh, there is some kind of association that is there to, to help you and last thing I think you need a third co-host, so I'm just going to throw it out there. <laughs> <laughs> I'm available. I'm cheap. for hire. <laughs> You're in. That's too easy. Awesome, man. Well, thank, thank you. you. We'll have you back on when you're running for mayor. Yeah. Okay. Great. Sounds good. <laughs> 2024. There you go. Hey listeners, thank you so much for joining us today. If you feel someone within your network would benefit and learn from this podcast, please feel free to share this or any other episode with them. If you feel you have benefited from this podcast, please leave us a review on any platform where you listen to podcasts. We greatly appreciate your support and feedback, and we look forward to connecting with you on the next show. Until then, stay healthy, stay safe, stay educated.